Good morning, church. Take your Bibles with me this morning and open to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, and if you're using a pew Bible this morning, you can find that starting on page 469. Page 469. We're actually going to have a two for this morning, so we're going to read both Psalm 42 and 43. And I think you'll see that they're connected. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words, these words that no doubt we all can relate to. Lord, I pray in those dark times in our lives 
that we would hold fast to the truths of your word, the truths of who you are, of who we are, so that we may take great joy in you and praise you in the midst of these trials. Lord, I pray for my brother John as he comes. I pray that you would lift him up with your righteous right hand. Give him strength as he teaches on these truths. And that we as hearers would hold fast to these truths and apply them to our lives. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. I'm not a like big theater person or whatever, but that I mean that was beautiful <laughs> the way you read that. Thank you. Welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to the holiday season. By the way, have you got your shopping finished? Have you got your fin- your shopping started? It's not easy being a, a guy, you know, in this culture. I mean. You want to get the right, I was just thinking about this this morning, I want to get the right gift, but how do you know? So it's like cash, gift card, cash, gift card, right? (laughs) Isn't that what you do? Maybe you don't, I don't know. Um, I'm going to talk about trials today. I did want to say, uh, we're on the internet now, I want to say hi to my buddy Scott, who's in a far off land known as Fishers, Indiana. Uh, Scott and I get together and talk about the Lord about once a month, so if you're there, Scott, hey. Um, from that point on, for now, I, it kind of goes downhill in a way. I want to tell you a story, a true story, uh, that doesn't have a happy ending, but it is something that took place, and we can learn a lot of lessons from it. It has nothing to do with Christian people, but uh, what took place, what happened has so many lessons for us as Christians. It happened on the night of July 16, 1999. And John F. Kennedy Jr., the late President John Kennedy's son, he took off in his plane from Essex County Airport, which was in New Jersey, and he headed northeast over the Atlantic Ocean towards Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. And with him was his wife and his sister-in-law. And they were about an hour out, and which meant they were about seven and a half miles from Martha's Vineyard, and they started their final descent. But at that point, something went terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, radar showed later that the plane made a sharp right turn and it lost altitude, and then it gained altitude, and it jerked back to the left. And that pattern kind of continued, but overall the thing started to go into a spin. Uh, the pilots call it a death spiral. And um, eventually, the thing was pointed nose down, and he flew the, the thing straight into the ocean. And all three people were killed on impact. Um, smaller planes like that are not tracked like the commercial airliners, so nobody knew what happened for the longest time. And um, eventually, the family reported them missing, and that's all anybody knew. The next day, the Coast Guard went out searching for anything, and they finally found some wreckage. 
And then they, they went, found that, went to that spot and, and looked, went down to the water. It was about 120 feet of water, and they found the plane at the bottom. And all three people were still strapped in their seats, and they had been killed on impact. Um, the investigation, though, and this is what matters to us, the investigation found that there was nothing whatsoever wrong with the plane. And so they, they, they put all the, you know, connected the dots and put everything together. And their final report, the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, that investigates these things, their report said that the probable cause of the accident was, quote, the pilot's failure to maintain control of the airplane during a descent over water at night, which was a, re a result of spatial disorientation. That meant literally he lost his bearings. Pilots call it a, a black hole vertigo. You, you, don't, you don't know which way is up. And there was no moon that night, and that was part of the problem. And then below him, there was a thick haze over the water. So he was flying in absolute, total, and complete darkness. And what happens then is, is you don't, your, your body reacts to the ground. I looked all this up. To, that's how you maintain your bearings. And so what pilots are taught, put it another way, what, how, what pilots learn to fly by their instruments on the plane. And no matter what you feel, you follow what it says on that instrument panel. You do that and you'll get home. But he didn't, he didn't do that. Instead, he went and did what he sincerely thought was right. And what he in his heart of hearts thought would save his life and the lives of his wife and his sister-in-law. But he was wrong. He, he, had, he had received some instrument training, is what I read, but not enough for the situation he found himself in. He knew something about how to fly by instrumentation, but when he got into this crisis, his whole world, you got to get this, his whole world was screaming at him to trust what he felt. So that's what he did. He leaned on what he absolutely thought was right. And it cost the lives of three people. So like I said, I want to talk about trials today. And I want you to remember what happened on that plane, okay? Um, we're going to talk about getting through navigating through situations and circumstances where everything in your life is black. And you can't think straight. And sometimes you can't eat. And you can't sleep. And you don't know which way is up. And you know what I mean. And all, all you do know is that it hurts so bad. And, and sometimes you feel like you can't even breathe. Have you ever been there? And you want it to end now. And you know, you know that God is in control. And you know that God is faithful. And if you're a good Bible reader, you know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his, pro his purpose. But right now, Right now, if you were honest, you would say, I know the verse. I know what it says. I know it's true. But right now, it doesn't help. Because you just want it all to stop. Well, I'll tell you something. If that's where you are, you are not alone. 
If you've ever been there, you are not alone. I know that because I've been there. And I won't get into the, the details of my story, but I've been there. And so have a whole lot of other people. I'll tell you something. I'm an elder at this church, and, and we pray for this entire congregation. And you hear the stories. And I'll tell you some things without revealing names, the things that are going on right now at this moment to people either that I know outside this church or mostly members of this church and, and who are sitting here this morning. Just some examples. I lost my spouse and I am so incredibly sad and I am so lonely. Uh, I lost my child and there's a hole in my heart that nothing can fill. And I got people telling me, you need to move on. You know, you need to move on. You need to get over it. And they don't know what is going on. My daughter's an alcoholic. My son's addicted to drugs. Somebody else here would say, you know, Proverbs says, train up your kids in the way they should go. And then when they're older, they won't depart from it. But mine did. Somebody else here would, would say, I try to keep this hidden, especially at church. But my marriage is falling apart. And home is a nightmare. Day and night, night and day, it's a nightmare. And I don't think we're going to make it. And the last thing, it's tough. It's happened way too many times here. I've seen it. The doctors confirmed, yes, it's cancer. And, and you, you go to the appointments and they map out the strategy. And at first, you're the shining example of the joyful Christian in a trial who trusts God in all circumstances and who wants everybody to know that no matter what happens, God is good, which is absolutely true. Absolutely. But then those painful days turn into painful weeks and sleepless nights and the fatigue and the side effects and the not knowing. All that starts to wear on you. And, and now you try to find God and you, you know he's there, but I don't know. I don't know. And that's where they are. That's where you are. That's just, you know, you're at this place where you just, I, I, don't, I can't even say anything. You can't even think. All those examples I just gave you are real. Because suffering is a reality of life. Peter, the apostle, said, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. It's not easy. It's not easy. God will take us, he will take you and me wherever he needs to go to accomplish his purposes. And, and we don't see things the way he does. And so when he does things that shake us to our core, it's pretty shocking. And in all candor, it can be debilitating. Very, very difficult. But we're going to look into these things. We're going to look into all those things. 
And obviously, there's no way we can speak directly to, into everyone's circumstances, everybody who's here. There's, there's obviously, we can't do that. But we can see the principles that God has laid out for us that do speak to every circumstance. All right? But before we go any further, we need to pray again. Okay? Together. And so what I'm saying is this. As we do this, as we pray, I would just ask you to think about what's on your heart this morning. I mean, are you in a trial? Some of you would say, no. I mean, honestly, things are good. Praise God. And I would say as well, praise God. But pray this morning that God's word burns itself onto your heart and your mind. Because you blink one day and it's all different. And it's good to have God's word in your heart at those moments. Those of you who are in a trial. Uh, there was a song that came out, I guess, a long time ago now. Because um, I'm getting old, I guess. It was called Cry Out to Jesus. And so if you're going through it right now, as we pray, you just, you just cry out to Jesus. You just talk to Jesus, okay? And ask him to give you what you need, listen, to be victorious. Don't ask Jesus Christ to get you through the day. Don't ask him to give you enough to get through the day. Ask Jesus Christ to give you what you need to be victorious. You know what? He's God. He can do that. Okay? So aim high. You'll never pass up God. Pray like that. And let's just pray right now. Father, you are so good and you are so gracious and kind and merciful. And to be able to call you our Father is incredible. But you also know how hard it can be. And you know what every person here is going through. And my prayer is that you would meet every person here right where they are and show them that you're there and that you have not abandoned them, that you never will abandon them. And for those who are enjoying a season of life where things are wonderful, we praise you and thank you for that. But God, we know that will change. Clouds are always rolling in. And so help us all to remember everything in your word as we look at it today. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We're going to look at trials, like I said. We're going to look at mainly at three different things, okay? Number one, what is a trial uh, according to God? According to the Bible, what is a trial? We'll look at that, and we'll look at different aspects of that. Um, number two, we'll look at what do you do when you're in a trial? How do you honor God when you are in the midst of a trial? Number three, and this is where my heart has been, what do you do... When you're in a trial, and I'm, I'm shooting as straight as straight can be today. When you're in a trial and you're angry with God. I, I don't care, God. I don't like this. I don't like what you're putting me through. I don't like what you've done. I don't like the path you're leading me down. It hurts and I don't like it and I want out. Or maybe God took someone from you. Um, maybe, they're, maybe they're Christians. Maybe they weren't. But you loved them and they're gone. And you don't understand. And so you've complained to God. And let's just be honest. You've accused God of being wrong or being unfair. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Or you don't understand why bad things keep happening to you. So you've just somewhere along the way, you're here this morning, but you gave up on God a while back. 
It's just everything stacked against me. Why, why, why does this always come back on me, God? And so, yeah, I'll go to church, but I've checked out. Glad you're here, if that's you. God, God is not checked out on you. We'll look at that, all right? So, um, I will tell you this, though. If you have, I want to say, copped an attitude, if you've got that attitude, if you've had it, again, shoot and straight, you have sinned against God, and you need to repent of that. But we'll talk about it. Because when you're walking through the darkest valley, things happen. Things that, quite frankly, for a Christian shouldn't happen, but they do. And so we'll look at all that. But for now, um, I just want to move into the, the heart of things, because my preamble's gone along quite a while. Um, so this is going to be what I'm going to call extremely important point number one. It's my only extremely important point, but it's extremely important. And that is this. Dealing with trials or not dealing with trials, do this, Christian. Get to know God. If you're in a difficult circumstance, if you're in a trial, you know what you can do to help yourself? Get to know God. In fact, it would be a very good thing if every person who attended this church and attended these services would also attend a Sunday school class. And that's because you would learn more about God. I thought about this even just a few minutes ago. If, if someone said, hey, uh, you know, Uncle Fester III with a billion dollars are going to open read his will this morning at 9 o'clock, and your cousin, 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 are you going to be here? I, I would. I mean, I would be here. If, if um, the game started at 9, would you be there? If you got free tickets to the Colts and you're on the 50-yard line and someone says, I need to pick you up at 9 o'clock, would you be ready? I would. But what if someone said, we're going to learn about the creator of the universe and what he says to us directly. Could you make it for that? Would you find a way to get here for that? I, I let you in on a secret. The Sunday school teachers don't get any points depending on how many people are in their class. Well... That's a secret, don't tell anybody. It's, it's for you. It's for you to learn about God. And as we're talking about trials, know your God. John Kennedy didn't know how to fly that thing in the dark. He knew a little bit, but when the crisis came, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll go my own way. I'm shooting from the hip here, but there's a way that seems right to a man at the end there of his death. Right? Learn who your God is. Who are you depending upon for your salvation eternally? Is God. Learn about your God. Um, I've had people, in essence, say to me, and I'm putting words in their mouth, but that's okay. I don't care what God said about God in God's book. This is who I think God is based on what I know, and that's all I need to know. And God knows that, and he's okay with it. So there. Now, how do you fly this thing? You know? And I just want to bang my head against the wall when people say things like that. Well, I think God is this, and I think God is this, and I think God is this, you know? No. Figure out who God is by getting in his word. All right? Guess what, Christian? Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge of God and of God's word. 
this verse here, there was one commentator, his name is David Guzik, I like him a lot. And he said this, and I think this applies to a lot of people. It isn't that God says his people aren't completely ignorant or are completely ignorant. They have some knowledge, but not enough. In fact, they may have just enough to make them think they know it all. They know God some, perhaps a little, but not enough. They also lack the knowledge of God's word. They know the word of God some, but not enough. And that is my point. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. uh, In the Gospel of Matthew, 22nd chapter, the Sadducees are messing with Jesus, okay? And they're trying to challenge him with this really horrible made-up story about a woman who marries this guy and then he dies. And then she marries his brother because that's the culture provided for widows by saying, okay, you marry her and so she's not out on the street. All right, well, in this horrific story, she marries the brother and then, and then he dies. And so she marries the next one and then he dies and the next one and the next one. It's like, you know, and so the Sadducees are saying, so in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And I think my response would have been like, you know, boys, I'm not real sure you're going to see her in the the resurrection. I think you, I have to drop down a few levels to find this particular lady, if you know what I mean, you know. I don't know that um, what she's doing, these poor guys. But anyway, the point was the Sadducees didn't get it because they didn't know who God was. They asked the question, because they didn't know God, they didn't know his word. And so here's the deal. They were going by a flawed interpretation and they were trying to trap Jesus using flawed theology. And so Jesus says, you are wrong. And you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. The the part that says the power of God is because the Sadducees, I'm going to tell a joke, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's why the Sadducees were so... Sad, you see. You got it. You guys are sharp. And I hear the groans. You'll tell it too, to be honest. So don't do that. Don't be like that. If you're in the midst of a trial right now, do you know God? Do you know him well enough to make sense of your situation? It's hard enough when you do know him really well. You might even think you know him, but if you don't know his word, chances are you don't know God. So learn his word and learn God. I'm going to give you five things that we need to know about God. Number one, I'm going to group these two first two together. God is infinite. And more importantly, we are not. Second one is that God is holy. Um, I put those two together. You'll see why in a second. Um, in the 15th verse of the 57th chapter of the book of Isaiah, the, the ESV says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, and I like this, who inhabits eternity, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. Um, why do I like that? Because when we think of infinity, we think of eternal, it, we, I think we tend to go, okay, eternal means no beginning and no ending, and you think linear. You, you think of a, a start point and an end point and like forever this way and forever that way. And that's not what infinity is with God. 
I, I like the fact that it says he inhabits eternity. So it just spills out. It's everywhere. He's, he's all over the place, okay? Um, that's the connotation that we should have, that he never ends, he never began, but he's, he's into every inch, every quarter inch of everything. We could also throw into this um, the omnis, God is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, and he's omniscient. That means when we say we, that, that God obscures eternity, for instance, it means that in his existence, he can do anything. He's everywhere, and he knows everything. Um, I understand some people don't get on the Internet or have access to the Internet, but last week, uh, Pastor Toby wrote an article which was on the Internet, and it, he called it, Does It Really Matter That I Pray? And in that article, he mentioned that God, and I'm quoting Pastor Toby here, he said, He has absolute power and control over every square inch of the universe at every millisecond of human history. That's the idea behind infinity. That God has always been, and he always will be, but he's everywhere. There's something, an attribute of God called God's aseity, or aseity, and God's aseity means that, you, and catch up with me here, okay, we got the fact that God's eternal, right? And that he's never began, never end, he, he's everywhere. But God's aseity means that there was nothing that brought God into existence. In other words, nothing caused him to happen. He's completely and totally independent, and he is completely and totally self-sufficient. Therefore, I think it would be correct to say that God doesn't need anything. But listen, when you think of God, it would be more accurate to say that God doesn't need. And to stop there, to give you an idea of how expansive he is. So, and I'm, I'm building a case here, so don't check out on me, okay, with these big theological words, all right? That's what God's infinity means, that God occupies everything. He's always been everywhere. He's just, I think omnipresent is probably the best one. All, next one, God is holy. The verse says that God is holy. We hear that and we read that all through the scriptures, but what does it mean, I mean, especially here? Primarily, holy can mean to be separate or to set apart. But for what we're looking at today, uh, R.C. Sproul had a good definition of this. And he said, when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate. And get this, he is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. So, in summary... Talk about who God is. God is so far above everything in every way that we can't put ourselves, and here's my point, you can't put yourself in any way, shape, or form in a position where we can even describe or attempt to describe where we stand in relation to God. Some people would say, well, God is here and man is here. And other people would say, well, no, God is here and man is way down here. But I'm telling you, God is here and we're, we're back here. We don't enter the equation. God is just God, and man is man. We are created in his image. I get that. But God is so far above us. Again, don't say, well, I think God is here, and man is, you know, whatever. Again, we're not there. So remember that when you think of God. That's who he is. Um, Psalm 113, verses 4 to 6 says this, The Lord is high above all nations, High above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on the high? 
Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? That's how big, if you want to say it, God is. So keep that in mind, again, as we're talking about who God is. The next thing, letter C, God is immutable. And that simply means that God never changes. Um, boy, I could go on and on about that one, but I'll run out of time. God, the fact that God changes is a very good thing, or never changes is a very good thing. If, if God could change, then all his promises would go away. Just like that, if he decided. But God doesn't change. So that's a good thing. Again, as we're getting into talking about trials, who is God? Who is this God I'm reaching out to? Well, he's infinite, he's holy, and he's immutable. Let's keep going on. Here's the two big ones. This first one is God is merciful. And I really didn't know how to say this without including grace, because so many people talk about mercy and grace together, which is just fine. But they get them confused. And again, I, I can't spend a lot of time here, but what I came up with is God, when it comes to God, mercy is not getting what you deserve, which is death for your sins is what we deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is the forgiveness of your sins. And, and that's a whole, we could go for weeks on that. But in general, or to keep it short, that's what this is. But God's mercy is what we're looking at today, okay? And so it's not getting what you deserve. God is merciful. Um, the, the 51st Psalm is the Psalm that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. And the first thing he wrote in that Psalm appealed to God's mercy. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. But he went first to God's mercy. Psalm 145, I, I really like these two verses. Verses 8 and 9, they cover a lot of ground that we're looking at this morning. Verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, keep that in mind, and abounding in steadfast love. As the idea of mercy, though, says, The Lord is good to all, all. God's mercy extends to everyone. And his mercy is over all that he has made. So the saved, the unsaved, you know, God causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. So God is just merciful in his, in his um, attributes, who he is, his personality. The last one, and this is going to come into play very much as we progress. God is long-suffering. And boy, should we rejoice in that. What does that mean? It is so important for our study today. Uh, in, in the Bible... Long-suffering is actually, you'll like this, made up of two Greek words. I know some people want to run for the door when they hear the Greek word for this is, but stay with me. The two Greek words, one means long and one means temper. So he's long-tempered, pretty scientific, all right? Literally long-tempered. So to be long-suffering, get this, because this is God. God is, it says, is to have self-restraint when one is stirred to anger. Keep that in mind. Again, to be long-suffering is to show, to have self-restraint when one is stirred to anger. That last part matters. Here's a definition. I got some from somewhere. It says, a long-suffering person 
does not immediately retaliate or punish. Rather, he has a long fuse and patiently forbears. Long-suffering is associated with mercy. It doesn't surrender to circumstances or succumb to trial. So it's, God is that, but obviously we are called to be long-suffering. And I'm getting ahead of myself here for a second, but if you're angry with God, he is long-suffering with you. I saw something the other day. I'm not a quote person, but my wife and I were in this little shop, and um, I just thought of this just now. I, I'm, I'll get off track, but I'll find myself. It, it, it said, okay, I'm getting old, so it said, do the best you can until you know better. But when you know better, do better. I kind of like that. My wife's like, why didn't you buy it? I was like, 15 bucks. I don't really like it that much, you know. But it's like, think about that. If you don't know God today and you're in this trial and you don't know which way's up and you've got this piece of God's word that you do know, Hang on to that. Hang on to the fact that God is faithful. And then get to know God. And when you do, do better. All right? I'm going to frame that. I'm going to make my own 15 bucks. All right? Okay. Um, moving along. Those are five things that we need to know about God. He's infinite. He's holy. He's immutable. He's merciful, and he's long-suffering. Here are three reasons why you should get to know God. These are a little bit separate. Number one, because God commands it, and that's really all the reason we need because God commands it. Number two, because it will help you when your life is turned upside down. And number three, it is the greatest journey you will ever undertake to know who God is. I, years ago when I was teaching, I, I don't know what possessed me to, to say, I'm going to ask why every time I learn something. Every time I learn something new, I'm going to say, why? Why, God? And I would dig, and I would dig. And it was just like such a blessing in my life to go, well, why is this, God? And I would find the answers. And I would say, okay, there's an answer, but why that? And I kept pushing God and pushing God. And I can't tell you what a joyful experience it was. What was interesting to me was after like a year of doing this, I ended up at a place where God said, have faith in me. He does give us lots of answers, but God is ultimately pleased by faith. And so that's where I went. And that's where I ended up. And that was enough for me. It was a joyful occasion. It was a joyful journey. I would recommend anybody do that. Okay, so keep all that in mind as we move forward. So our, our text on the, um, the bulletin, I think, was James chapter 1 verses 1 through 12. I'm just going to touch on this a little bit, but I wanted to kind of get into what is a trial because I've been talking about trials. So um, if you want to go to James, we're going to look at the first four verses. Um, and so I'm going to go there. I'm going to start with verse 2. Verse 2 of the, of the book of James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. And that is from the New American Standard. We usually use the English Standard Version here at church, but um, I like that translation a lot. So if, you've, if you can get there and you see it, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. So I'm going to take it apart as, as quickly as I can. Do you know what that means in its essence? I'll read it again. Consider it all joy, my brethren, 
when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 2, that verse is a report. It is calling back the headquarters and saying that something has happened and saying, what do we do? There it is. Count it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Again, that is a report. That is calling back and saying, hey, we've encountered this thing. What do we do? And I'm going to get into that a lot. I, I want you to stay with me, please. But before we can go there, I need to build a foundation. So let's park that verse for just a minute and let's build our foundation. We'll, here's where we're going to start. So somebody give me some sort of acknowledgement. Scripture says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you believe that, right? Good. Scripture also says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And you agree with that, right? We're doing well. You believe that by grace you've been saved through faith. And that this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, right? You guys are acing this. And you believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient both to pay the penalty for your sin and to appease God's wrath against you because of your sins. It's called propitiation. All right? Good, this is going well. So we're all in agreement with all that, right? Good. Okay. Because if you do agree with all that, then you could come up with your own little creed. And I've got my own little creed here. It's going to go on the bottom of my little thing for 15 bucks. It says this. You believe that God loves you. And you believe that he did all that, all that we just mentioned, on the cross because he loves you. And that he's your Abba Father. If you're not familiar with that, Abba Father means that it's Daddy. God the Father, God the creator of the universe, says, you can call me Dad. Um, Pastor John Jacobs used to, when he was here, he talked about when he was in Israel one, day, or one year, and he said, I'm standing on a, a street corner, and, and there's a guy across the street, and there's a, a mother with a little kid next to him, and the little kid's going, Abba, Abba, Abba. And we have, we have that relationship with God our Father. Man. That's awesome. So all that's there. And you say, because of all that, I trust God no matter what. Amen. We say that, right? Because that's going to be our foundation. So you were with me on all that, so that's good. So with all that in mind, verse 2, as I said, is a report. And that report says, okay, you're traveling down life's road and you meet, you encounter anything. Anything that puts all of what we just said to the test. You, again, you meet, you encounter anything, anything at all that puts all that that we just said up there to the test. Puts every bit of that to the test. In other words, all of a sudden, you're in a situation where something has happened. And now, and this is part of the trial. This is what it means to be in a trial. Something in your head or, or your feelings or your body is screaming at you like thunder. You're, you're cruising along, but all of a sudden, this is what's happened. And you're in this massive current, okay, that is so strong against you. And it's trying to turn you around. And it says, are you sure? Are you sure that what God says is right? Are you sure that God can be trusted? 
did God not say? You know, I mean, that's what the devil used. But that, that argument there is so loud and it is so uncomfortable and it's so painful or confusing because it might sound logical. Because it's like, man, I'm hearing this, this voice in my head or someone's talking to me and they're telling me this and it makes perfect sense. But God says, no, don't go that way. So verse 2 says, stop and take a step back and consider. That word consider means think. It means stop and think and think, okay, what's going on here? What is this? I have just encountered, I've just met, walked into whatever, a situation, various kinds, means anything, where I, what I say I believe is completely and totally at odds with whatever this thing is that's taken place, this circumstance or this situation. In other words, this trial that I've encountered and then verse 2, or, or better yet, head, headquarters, all right, calls back, because you call and you say, what's going on? I've encountered this thing. And they call back and they say, ah, this is an occasion for joy. Count it all joy. That's what the verse means. Consider it, count it. All joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. And some of you sit here today and you read those words and you think, how in the world can I possibly do that with what I'm facing? Or with what I went through? And so verse 3 steps in. And verse 3 says, how? Knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. How can you know? Because God's the one who's there. I know God. And therefore, I know that the testing of my faith is going to produce endurance. That, I'm going to go Greek again. The Greek word for that endurance is hupomone. I looked it up years ago. I studied, I studied it like crazy. Great word, hupomone. Okay, it's a great word, and I really, it's really the key to the message this morning. It really is. It's a key to a large part of the Bible because it's, it means endurance. Okay, here's the picture God's painting. You, you walk into the situation where your faith is going to be tested. Which is, and again, that's, that's a trial. A trial is a testing of your faith, okay? But again, that testing is for, from God and it has a purpose because it's going to grow your faith. Because hupomone means that when this circumstance, listen up, when this circumstance gets thrown onto your back, all right, and it weighs you down, you stand there and you take it. But not just take it, accept it. And you don't look for a way out. And your instinct is going to be, I don't like this. Get this off my back. When, when I was in my 20s, uh, my buddy Paul and I, I was so, I had legs about that big around. And we both, we had the big knobby knees, you know. And we worked out at Tom Zupanzik's gym, which was behind um, the atrium, the little blockhouse, basically. And so we decided we're going to start doing squats and get our legs big and strong, you know. I mean, here we are, ribs and everything, you know. 
And so Zupo was helping this girl. I think she was going to go into bodybuilding anyway. We had just put 185 pounds on the barbell, and you set it on your, and you do your squats. And we're both sitting off the side gasping for air, you know, and I'm sure we're going to die any second. And this girl steps up, and, and he puts like 205 pounds on there, and she does it like 10 times. And then they walked away, and Paul and I just looked at each other. And we got up, and by golly, we went over and slapped 205 pounds, you know. And I kept at it, and, I, and I, that's kind of what I was into. And I got to where I, it, I mean, it took about a year but eventually I got to where I could squat 400 pounds, I'd put four of those big plates on each side, and I'd, I'd pick it up and I'd step back and I'd stop like this and it'd go boom, 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 boom. And I was like, man, that's cool. You know what I mean? It would kill me now. It would crush me beneath the floor, obviously. But how did that happen? It's because that load stayed on there. And eventually I got stronger and stronger and stronger. God puts this trial on you. He puts this load on you and he says, stay underneath it. Hupomone. Endurance means stay underneath it, but you don't just accept it, you walk with it. You live with it. You carry it around because you know who God is and you know that no matter what, he has great things in mind for you. That's why he's got it, given it to you. You know that because you know God to be true. You know it to be true. So again, you don't just stand there with, with this weight and complain about it. You carry it. You walk with it. And what happens? Your faith grows. Because you trusted God even when it hurt. Even when it hurt. Verse 3, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Verse 4 then is the bow and wraps it all up. So verses 2 through 4 say, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing... That the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you, you, excuse me, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I got bad news for you here. You ain't perfect. You're not going to be perfect. Sorry. That, that word perfect refers to your faith. How is your faith perfected? It's through trials. The word really means mature. That you would grow up to be a mature tr a Christian. All right? That's the whole idea behind those verses 2, 3, two, three and 4. Listen, getting back to verse 2, though, various trials is a sobering thought. It ought to be. It's anything from A to Z, 1 to a billion. It's anything God brings into your life. I found this this week. In, in the year 1718 in southern France, there was an 18-year-old girl named Marie Durand. And she was brought before the authorities and charged in southern France with what was called the Huguenot heresy, which meant that basically she believed what we believe, that everything necessary for salvation and spiritual life is taught in the Bible. It's very, very, very complex what was going on back in the religious wars, but that's in essence of what she was in trouble for. So the authorities asked Marie to recount her, or recant, excuse me, recant her beliefs. One commentator that I read, I like this, he said, she wasn't asked to commit an immoral act, to become a criminal, or even to change the day-to-day -day quality of her behavior. She was only asked to say, I recant. But she refused. And so the authorities took her and they threw her in jail. 
And so together with 30 other women who shared these beliefs, this 18-year-old girl was locked into this tower and left there for 38 years. And during that time, though, these women scratched on the wall of that prison tower a single word that meant resist. I don't know if you can read that or not. In French, it says register, basically. It means resist. You can go there today and see that. 18-year-old kid, whole life in front of her. Look, all we're saying, all we're asking you to do is just say, you know, you don't believe this. That's all you got to do. We'll leave you alone. 38 years. No, she got out of prison. They released her finally. She died six years later. She had just gotten married. I mean, everything in front of her. She said, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's, that's being in a trial and remaining faithful. You think Satan wasn't in her ear? Did God actually say? That's a, that's, that is the, kind of the definition of various trials. You don't know. You don't know what's coming next in your life. Okay, so moving ahead. What do I do when I'm in a trial? How do you honor God in the midst of a trial? First, number one, repeat extremely important. Important point number one, get to know God. Are you in a trial? Get to know God. I can't stress that enough. You have to have an accurate understanding of God in order to navigate in the dark. And the darker the night, the more light you're going to need. Because you can't see anything. So get it now when you're not in the trial. Number two, pray. Pray. I mentioned that Toby printed that article, wrote that article last week. I printed 15 copies, and they're down here in the front row. It's, it's good read. I, you get it. We'll print more. All right? It's a good read. If you have access to the Internet, get on our church's website and read it. It talks about what God does as a result of prayer. You pray. Luke 11. Jesus Christ, God himself, gave this example of praying through a trial. You've heard this before, but this is God telling us how to pray. All right, Luke 11, verses 5 through 8. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on the journey. Wake up. I have nothing to set before him. And he'll say, oh, have you lost your mind? Get out of here, right? He'll say, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children in bed are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. But Jesus said, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs to make him go away. And God tells us to pray like that. God, 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 hey, I need this. I need this. I need this. Hey, God, hey, God, hey, God, hey, God, hey, God, daddy, 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 right? Pray like that. Pray like that. God's the one that wrote it, you know, so pray that way. Matthew 5, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 5. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Good place to start. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my sins. And all, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And he says, then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to cross this bridge just for a moment. Trials can become temptations. 
The word, again, the Greek word for trials is exactly the same word used for temptation. A trial can become a temptation. So, how does a trial become a temptation? It happens in your heart. It happens in your heart. Do you know God? Give yourself a fighting chance. Know God. You'll be much less likely to turn away if you know God. That's where it goes. And then take the shield of faith. The full armor of God is what we're talking about. That means what we said in the very beginning. Again, that you trust God. No matter what happens, you understand that God has a purpose and you trust him for that purpose. Let's just face the hard truth, okay? Suffering is a part of life. I've been saying this for the past half hour. And people die. And my friends, you, you may end up in a trial that takes your life. But listen, there's a reason it's called the body of Christ. What you go through affects all kinds of people. Remember that story of John, John Kennedy's plane crash, okay? There's a lady, I think she's passed away, her name is Ann Freeman, and you've never heard of her. And there's a guy out there named William Bassett, and chances are you don't know who he is either. Who he is either. They lost two daughters that night. Those two women were their daughters. You lose two daughters in one night. Can you, can you imagine... The good and the bad has an effect on everybody. There was a lady that went to church here years ago um, who, and I'm not going to name her name, but she, she had cancer, and I talked to her a lot. And we, we used to have church in here on a Wednesday night. And I'm sitting back there uh, with my shoes off on a Wednesday night, loving life. And um, there was a girl named Katie Strange who was a friend of ours, and I'm sitting there with Katie, and, and okay, this lady's name was Bev, Beverly Price. And, and Bev was sitting there, and Beth is, or Bev is like three months or less from dying of cancer. She's taking notes. She's sitting there learning about God, learning more and more about God. And she, I was like, Katie, I was like, look at that. Man, did that inspire me. That she was so faithful. Bev didn't know that. That to, to this day, what she did that one night and that one instance right back there affected my life so profoundly. But God puts you in a trial, and again, he may take your life. But you know what? Your, your days were numbered before you were born. God knows exactly how many days he has given you. All right, did you know that Psalm says that, I think it's Psalm, I'm shooting from the hip again. But anyway, it, the Bible says this. Precious is the death of a saint in the eyes of the Lord. Because you go home. If you're saved, you're just going to go home. It's not a bad deal, right? But it's the people that are left behind. It all works together. It all functions together, okay? But God is sovereign. Know that. Know God. Number four, focus on Jesus. What's the old hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? That's what we should do all the time. And everybody makes fun of Peter for getting out of the, of the boat and sinking. You know what? The dude got out of the boat, right? Would you have done that? 
But the fact is he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And there's a lesson there for us. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. All right? You do that and you'll maintain... You know, you hang on for dear life sometimes. Let's face the facts. But do that. Stick with him no matter what. Okay? Number five. Our pastor says this all the time when he writes things to people. Stay steady. The, the, the thing is this, and, and I'm kind of shifting gears here a little bit, but when you're in a trial, should I do things differently? You know, does God expect something from me that's different? No, he doesn't. Remember we talked about God, I talked about God being eternal and God being up here and all these different things. God never changes. It amazes me sometimes when I look at our American culture and really the world and where the world is going. The Bible's outdated and this is this and this is and we're so enlightened now and we know and so it all has to be this way and you know and God is this and we're like this and we think we're so smart. I mean, really? Go back and think about what we talk about who God is. All right? And in, and in man here in our, oh, it's 2018, almost 19. We're so smart, you know. We got God. No, no. God is so far above and beyond us, okay? But, I meant to say this earlier, but don't forget, God also dwells with the lowly of heart and the humble, okay? Moving on, I'm running out of time. What a shock. Okay. But as far as staying steady, yes. You keep doing the things God calls on us to do, and that means worship God. Now, the Psalms that Brian read this morning say, say that, you know, I will worship again. I will worship again, which means he's in a position where in his heart he's struggling to do that. And I'll, I'll cover that ground very soon, okay? But in general, we're supposed to do, stay steady. Then there are no caveats. God stays the same. Number six, and this is the infamous other, okay? What else do you do? Um, and these are going to sound pretty untheological, but I studied this like crazy. And all the, my heroes of the faith all said the same things. I'm going to put them up here for you. If you want to scribble these down, it would be a good idea or take them to heart. Here's the first batch. Ready for this? Go to bed at a reasonable hour. Are you in a trial? Don't stay up all night. Boy, that's biblical, isn't it? Yes, it is. Get out of the bed in the morning. Morning is not 11.59 in the morning. Get out of bed, okay? Eat right. I mean, all these commentators said this. Eat right and exercise. I don't want to talk about that last one. Let's move on past that, okay? I'm trying to get there. Minister to others. I already said, go to Sunday school. Come to church. Even when you don't feel like it. Not to be a hypocrite, but be around God's people and be in God's word. All right? The spirit moves as it will and, and be here. Okay? If you're a member of this church or if you attend this church, get in a growth group. People talk about how their growth groups, you know, they, they're so close to these people. You need that. We, we have to do that. Find a very wise Christian friend and talk to them. Okay, and praise God. If you're in a trial and you're struggling, do these things, every one of those. In conclusion, though, what if you just can't? What if you just, I can't do it? 
And this is walking through the darkest valley. And by the way, when you read walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it, I don't mean to offend anybody, but a better translation is right there on your screen. It means walking through the darkest valley. So what happens when the trial that you're in turns into a temptation and that temptation becomes a sin? And this is my heart, and it always has been. Um, this is what drove this whole message. I'll tell you, uh, some of you already know this, so bear with me. Um, I, I mentioned, I think, twice from up here that one of my best friends that I grew up with, um, he, he died of ALS. He had Lou Gehrig's disease, and he passed away. But before that happened, I said, I, I texted him and I emailed him. He, he couldn't talk really anymore. I, I had one conversation with him. It was awful. He, it, the disease had attacked, uh, attacked his respiratory and everything else. And um, I said, Dave, I was going to come out and see you. He lived in Seattle. And he's like, yeah. And then a week before I was going to go out there, I just I didn't hear anything from him. I, I didn't know. I thought maybe he had died or something. I, I called the house and got his wife. And she said, well, Dave's in the hospital. She said, he's really crashed. And she said he's basically in a vegetative state. She said he can't move his arms or his leg. He can't speak. He had a pad of paper he could write on. And I was like, well, should I come out? And she said, oh, yeah, he wants to see you. So on the Thursday of that week, he had a really good day. And his brother, Dean, uh, who's a good friend of mine as well, told me about it. He's like, yeah, Dave's looking forward to seeing you. He had a good day. He, he could speak and everything. And I was like, great. So um, Friday comes, and Saturday I flew out. I got there late Saturday night, and um, long story short, I, I decided to go up to the hospital, and I went up to his room, and it was 11.15 or something, and the nurses were like, you can go in and say hi to him. And I went in, and he wasn't a big guy to begin with. He lost 50 pounds. I mean, he was pretty skeletal, but I, I'd kind of prepared myself for that, so it wasn't... It was bad, but it wasn't horrific. And I, I looked at him, and he was asleep. His TV was on. I thought, well, do I wake him up? And his chest, when he would breathe, his chest didn't, like, rise and fall. It, it, like, right there, it, just, it was an angle. It just went like that. And every time he'd breathe, it, would, it was this angle, very definitive angle. I was like, what do I do? I thought, I'm not going to wake him up, because his brother had said, I'm going to get to the hospital Sunday morning early. I thought, I'm not going to wake him up. And I thought, well, I'll write him a note. It's just say, hey, Dave, I was here. I'll see you in the morning. And I didn't do that either. And I just left. I went back to my hotel room. And the next morning, I was going to get up early. And I, I had set the alarm you know, on my phone. I don't know if it's the alarm went off or a text. I got a text or whatever. But it was from his brother. It said, hey, John, we're on our way up to the hospital. They just called. And Dave passed away a half an hour ago. And I have never been a why person. I just never have been. But right then and there, I just, I just walked away from this. I'm holding my phone. I walked back and forth in this room, and I was like, why? Why? I had a million questions in my mind. Why, God? Why? why? I mean, it was a lot of money. I didn't say goodbye to him. I didn't write him a note. I don't think it would have mattered, but should I have done it? I, I couldn't fly out till Tuesday without spending almost $1,000 to come home. So I'm, I'm out there by myself. All I really wanted to do is get home and see my wife. Why? Why? And, and that really is why we're discussing this this morning, folks. I can't tell you what God has done to set this up. 
We're supposed to have started Jude this morning, but God revised the schedule. And that's why you're hearing this this morning. I got to wrap up, but I'll tell you, it's very normal to ask why. Why, God, why did this have to happen? On the other hand, if you say, why did you let it happen? Why are you doing this to me? Why did you do this to this person I love so much? Are those sinful questions? They could be. They could be. It depends on your heart. It does. It depends on your heart. And i, I got to wrap up here, but is it okay to ask God why when bad things happen? Yes, it is. If your heart says, I trust and I believe, I just want to know. What are you trying to teach me? Or I don't understand and I'm lost and that's as far as my mind can go. And that's where I was in Seattle. It's okay to say, no. Please, God, no. Why? 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 Because that is your heart. And you're talking to God. And God will never beat you up for that, folks. Ever. If you pour out your heart to God. In Job... Job had it bad, right? Job chapter 7, he says, How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I, what do, I do to you, you watcher of mankind? He said, Why have you made me your mark, your target? Why have I become a burden to you? And why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. And God didn't get upset, and the reason was Job poured out his heart to him. Okay? Is it okay to be dissatisfied with your circumstances? A lot of people say no, and this is a fine line, but listen. Joseph was in jail. He was in a prison. All right? And he's trying to get these guys to get him out. All right? And he tells this cupbearer, I believe it was, he says, When all goes well with you, remember me. And show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. He's complaining about his circumstance. He says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. And I'm going to go ahead and wrap up here, okay, Kathleen? So here's the thing that, that we see here, right? Joseph didn't know at that point that he was going to be exalted to the prime minister of Egypt. He had no way of knowing that. And when he finally figured out, he told his brothers, if you know the story, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He was half right. Because when Egypt, or when, the, when his brothers were saved, one of those brothers was Judah. And there became the tribe of Judah. And from the tribe of Judah came the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who became who? Jesus Christ, who saved us. Joseph didn't know that. I'm not saying whatever trial you're in is going to result in something that huge, okay? But you don't know what God is doing. You don't know. So trust God in these trials, okay? Um, I get all jacked up when I talk about this because God is so gracious. We turn our backs on him in these trials and when we come to our senses and we say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, guess who takes off running? God takes off running to us. Why, to beat us up? No. <laughs> to embrace us. 
That is our God. That's the God I serve and that's the God who saved me and that's the God I love. Some of you here today aren't Christians and the fact is God isn't your father. Just like me and everybody else before we were saved, you are basically serving your flesh, your body, your desires, whatever. It tells you what to do and you do it, okay? Your flesh says, don't follow him, God. Follow me. Who's your best buddy? I am. Even Christians experience this. Who makes you happy? I do, says your flesh. And your flesh can make a pretty loud argument. That's why Paul said, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Uh, my best friend, when his first son was like 18 months or something, he said, he said they had a difference of opinion on who was in charge. And he told little Joe, he said, I'm the man here and I'm in charge and you'll obey me. And he said, little Joe turned around and he said, he watched him go. <laughs> That's our flesh, is it not? No, I'm in control here. So you beat your flesh into submission. Listen, God is so gracious. He knows what you're going through. Have you sinned against him with your attitude? Repent of that sin and go to him. He is waiting with open arms. Okay? The Bible talks about God putting all your tears in a bottle. Jesus made a promise. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. If, if you're not saved, let me tell you, let me just give you a few verses. Listen to this. This is God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior who will save man from their sins. That's who Jesus is. If you're not a Christian, come to God today and, and put your life in his hands and enjoy eternal life. If you're a Christian and you're going through a trial and you've walked away from God, come back. Don't be afraid to come to God if you sin against them. Repent and come back. If you're going through a trial and you need help, talk to any of the elders, deacons, your friends, whoever, and get the help you need. No Christians should be isolated. If you just can't see straight, if you just can't figure it out, to be honest with you, I would call here and I would talk to, to Toby and Chad. They're good men. They know the Bible really well, better than me. And I, I would seek them out. But do something. God is there. God loves you so much. And he's going to be there. Um, normally at this point, I'm going to wrap things up. Normally we would take a time to reflect and then we'll pray. But it is late. So I'm just going to ask you to pray with me like we did in the beginning. Okay? If you're in a trial, cry out to Jesus. And if not, load up on God. Get to know him. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father... I know I say this to you all the time, but you said where two or more are gathered in your name that you were with us. And what a blessing and a comfort it is to know that you were with us even right now. 
God, I have brothers and sisters in this room, and I don't have any idea really what they're going through, but you know it better than any of us. And God, my prayer is that you would meet them where they are and carry them when they need to be carried or have them carry, help them, whatever, in their trial. Again, you know better than any of us what they need. We thank you, God, for everything you've done. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his work on the cross that saved us. God, when we leave here, the problems we have when we walked in will most likely still be there. Help us through this day, because when we walk out the door, Satan's going to hit some people really hard and say, don't believe a word of it. God, show yourself strong. We thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen.